Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Today, I have a, a, a great honor. A couple weeks ago, uh, my friend Chuck came and he brought the message. And honestly, I was telling him before, I was like, man, when you shared, like, I had like just a sweet encounter with the king. I mean, just, just met me right where I was and just reminded me of a few things in my life. And I'm really thankful. Uh, so I asked him to come back. And so today, uh, Chuck Hooten's going to be sharing the word with us. And Chuck, I can't wait to hear, man. Bring that heat. Let's go. Let's have some fun. It's a joy to have you here. You're a beautiful man. Come oh, on now. man. Dad and all. Oh, man. You just made my day calling me a beautiful man. That coming from Jay Smith, like I can just, I'm going to go to sleep with a smile on my face. Jay called me beautiful. Oh, I have been sitting with this text all week, and I'm not kidding you. I've called, I've called friends and like had conversations with them on the phone. Um, I've just bothered people this week. Uh, talking about this text. I'm so, I'm so excited about it. Um, I feel like we should pray. So let's pray. Uh, God, um, this is your word. It's not mine. Um, so God, tonight we want to handle this so delicately and we want to be so truthful to it. And, um, God, I am, I am pretty much just capable on a <laughs> daily basis of messing 99% of the things you've asked me to do up, so you're going to have to be present, and you're going to have to speak, and you're going to have to work, and so that actually makes me happy because I know that um, you can do all of those things, and so, God, we give ourselves to you tonight in weakness um, so that you look strong, not us, you. And so, God, would you show us your heart in this text in Philippians tonight? We pray it all in the name of Jesus, God, for your glory. Amen. Um, I thought this on the, this morning when I was thinking about this, and then I, I, I didn't know if I was going to share this with you or not to start off. So right off the bat, you're going to have to show me some grace. Um, I'm going to put myself out there with gentleness and uh, just pray that you receive this uh, in all humility and graciousness in return. I have to tell you that I am an Alabama fan. And, and I expected that response. You came through. We'll be friends. We'll be friends tonight. We can be enemies as soon as this is over. We'll just, we'll strap it up and uh, I am wearing orange. I heard that. I am. I'm, I'm in, I'm, <laughs> my daughter told me I look like a lumberjack today. Um, but the reason I, I, the reason I tell you that, there's a reason that I tell you that. Uh, so last night, we, we only have one TV at my house, and uh, we don't have it in our living room. It ended up in uh, my oldest two daughters there in high school. They share a room, and the TV ended up in their room. So whenever we want to watch TV together... We just all pile into their bedroom and like sit on the floor in the bed. I have four daughters and a wife, 
And uh, so it's me and a bunch of women. It's like a sorority house. We just like pile in there and watch TV. And so last night, uh, the Alabama game came on at eight, which is awful because uh, I have to get up early on Sunday mornings, but I sat in there like an idiot and watched it. And I've been tired all day because I did. And, uh, but we were watching the Alabama game and they were playing Texas A&M. And I don't know if y'all watched it or not, but there was a, there was a point at the end of the game where Texas A&M's quarterback, he's a guy named Haynes King. And at the end of the game, there was this pivotal moment where Texas A&M was driving and Haynes King took the snap out of the shotgun. He backed up and immediately felt pressure coming from his left. So he rolled out to his right. He was going back to his right and backwards. And he kind of did what you're always not supposed to do, but kind of going off his back foot, he saw a guy coming across, so he just threw it up. And fortunately for Alabama, he threw it to our team, <laughs> which we had done for them a couple times. So it was all fair. Uh, but it was a pivotal moment in the game and he threw it to our team. And uh, when he was running off the field, you saw him, he popped his helmet off. You could just see on his face, he was disappointed in himself, but he was walking over and Jimbo Fisher is the coach of Texas A&M and you could read his lips. And as he was coming off the field, you could read his lips and Jimbo Fisher looked at him and he said, what were you thinking? As he said, what were you thinking? And then he followed up, he followed that up with, he said, what did you see? What were you thinking? What did you see? And as I was watching it, I was like, exactly, because I had been studying this text all week, and it was like Jimbo Fisher and his $97 billion, they're paying him to coach a three-and-three football team. He looked at me through the TV screen, and he like summed up kind of what I had been like grappling with and trying to put my arms around all week, kind of what Paul is saying, was saying to me all week through this text. And if you've ever played a sport before, if you've ever been around sports before, there is a moniker and there's a thing that coaches will always tell players, your feet follow your eyes. And so I don't care what sports you're playing. Um, I grew up, I played baseball, I played a little bit of basketball. It doesn't matter football, it doesn't matter what sports you're playing, You'll, you will always hear coaches say your feet follow your eyes. So if you're playing football, for instance, you're playing defense, People talk all the, all the time about eye discipline. It's really important that you are looking in the correct direction because wherever you are looking, that's where your feet are going to go. In baseball, my dad was my coach. He would tell me all the time, keep your eye on the ball. I mean, if you played baseball, that's what you heard all the time. Keep your eye on the ball. The same thing's true in basketball. You have to know where to look. And so when he ran off the field and Jimbo Fisher with his pain look on his face said, what were you thinking? What did you see? A bunch of things just clicked together for me in this passage in Philippians. And hopefully as we read this passage and we move through just the next couple minutes, it's going to click together for you because what Paul is saying is so incredibly simple. I, I, you do not have to be a genius to figure out what Paul is trying to get across, but the way to lock it in and like lock it into our hearts and spirits so that it's meaningful and, and change us in a way that pushes us forward towards Jesus. That's what I'm praying for this evening that happens. So if you have your Bible or if you have a device or a way to look at those scriptures, we're going to be in Philippians chapter four, and we're going to start in verse eight. And this is, this is what Paul says. Finally, brothers, just a couple of thoughts right here. You're like, oh goodness, we got through two words. We're going to be here forever. I'm not going to do this the whole time, but here's the thought. Like, <laughs> 
finally, brothers, if you haven't been here through this series going through Philippians, you've literally like gone to YouTube to the TED Talk and skipped forward to like minute 17, and you're hearing the guy say, in conclusion, like you missed everything that came before, because that's what he's saying right here. Finally, brothers, in light of everything that I've said up to this point, he's about to make a statement to kind of tie everything all together. And so don't worry if this is your first time here, we're going to tie it all together. It's all going to make sense. But the danger in reading something like, finally, brothers, and just kind of lifting that up out of where it is and looking at it on its own is you really can't do that because Philippians is actually a letter. We call it the book of Philippians. This is actually a letter that Paul wrote to his friends. And when he wrote it to his friends, there were no chapters, there were no verses. It was literally, dear Philippian church, love Paul, and everything in the middle was the letter. It's like one continuous thought that he had sent to him. So when we hit this part, finally, brothers, it is intimately connected to everything that he's already said. So realize that. The second thing is, that for some reason, the folks that like translated the ESV, God love them, put brothers here. And the word is actually brothers and sisters in the Greek. And that's just a pet peeve of mine because I have four daughters and a wife and I'm for them. You know, so like in, in my Bible... Whenever this happens, I always like mark it out and put ancestors. I just help them in my Bible. The Greek word is adelphoi. That ending is gender neutral and it's plural. And so he is saying, finally, family. Finally, everybody who's a part of the Philippian church. Finally, brothers and sisters, this is what he's going to say. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any ex excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, think, put your eyes on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The reason I say that it's so important to connect that back to what's come before, because if you don't, a couple of things can happen right here in this text. The first thing that, you can, that can happen when you read a list like this is it could bring you some anxiety or a sense of pressure. If you read this by itself, you could be like, okay, Paul has just given me this list of things I'm supposed to think about and this list of things I can, I'm supposed to do. And all of a sudden, your chest might get a little tight and you're like, how in the world am I supposed to figure out what these things are? I, even for some of us, if we're really, really honest, we've spent lifetimes looking for the kinds of things that, they are, that these are, what is true, what is pure, what is honorable, what is just. Over and over again, we have thought that we've put our hands on something like that just to find out that it wasn't true, it wasn't pure, it wasn't honorable, and it didn't bring justice. And so we're in this rhythm and this rut of over and over again discovering if that pressure sits on our shoulders to figure out what these things are, we just fail over and over and over again. So I'm going to take that pressure off your shoulders, set it to the side, and let you know you do not have to wander in the dark to know what these things are. That's the first thing. The second danger, though, in hearing something like this is instead of it bringing us a sense of anxiousness, it could actually bring us a sense of pride. And this is actually the story more than anything of the place that we live right now in our culture. We live in a place and time and culture that tells us that the most important, urgent, 
worthy thing we can do from day to day is to decide and determine for ourselves everything in this list. We are the ones who are supposed to wake up and figure out what is true for me. What is honorable for me? What would purity look like if I were to draw it up? What is worthy of praise if I were to set it on a pedestal? And most of the time, if it's left up to me, I'll just set myself up there. That's the world that we live in. But do not think that we just woke up in this world and this is somehow different. This is the world that we have lived in all the way back since the beginning in Genesis chapter three. This is original sin encapsulated. God creates the world. It's beautiful. He speaks it into existence. God created the world by speaking, by telling a story. You are a spoken creation. If you are sitting in this room tonight, this is mystical and magical and beautiful, but if you are sitting in this room, it is because Jesus, we read in the book of Colossians and the word made flesh in John 1, the reason that your atoms are colliding together tonight and making you you is because Jesus is speaking that reality to be so. Like literally Colossians says that the reason that the world is held together, the glue that makes you you is the speech of God himself. Like he spoke you into existence. The reason that chair exists and hasn't crashed to the floor that you're sitting on is because Jesus has declared it to be so. That is mysterious. And that's the way God created the world. He spoke, he said things, and God said, let there be light. And right after that, there was light, and he created day and night. And what did he say after he would create everything? He said, and God said it was, it was good. He declared with his speech after he had made it, this is what good looks like. And so in the very beginning, this has been the rubric, the enemy comes into the garden comes to Eve, doesn't point out anything that has been made because that would be stupid. It's all perfect. He just comes in and he says, did God really say? Did God really say? Like he goes right to the power of God, the authority of God, the speech of God, God's ability to speak, it happen, and then declare what he's spoken to be good and right and true. That is what the serpent questions. Did God really say? And then they begin to have this dialogue. And the serpent tells the woman, here's what God knows. You won't die. What's actually going to happen is if you will do the thing that he's told you not to do, God knows that in that moment, you will become like him. And you will know. And that, that idea of know is like intimately be acquainted with, attached to. The serpent is saying, you will be the force that determines good and evil. You will be God. You will get to speak and it will be so. You will get to declare the end from the beginning. You will be the one to create and people look, will look at what you have done and, and, and they will bow down. You will determine what is right and what is true. And I will tell you that is where we live today. We wake up in the morning and we are expected to know what we think about everything and then loudly declare it on social media. This is my opinion on the world. Agree with me. Bow to me. Respect me. Honor me. Here's the problem. And here's the sin of our generation. God speaks clearly through his word and he says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 55, he says, I am not like you. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I declare the end from the beginning. I am God. 
And then he says in Isaiah, and like me, there is no other. And so there's a line been drawn in the sand there of who's going to be God. Who gets to be God? And so here comes Paul talking at the end of Philippians. And this whole book has been this, this narrative about what it looks like in a pagan place, in a place that is godless, in a place that has decided that they are completely opposed to God, what it is going to look like to be changed into a people and a person that looks completely different than the place that we live. That's what the book of Philippians is about. And here we get to the end. His, his whole argument, his whole building up. Finally, brothers and sisters, here's the list. Think on these things. And it is a struggle. My, my youngest daughter, Josie, she's seven. Last week, we were in a big argument on the way to first grade. And I asked her to put this shirt on. She said she didn't want to wear that shirt. I made her wear that shirt. She wanted to wear like a tank top. It was like seven degrees. That's, that's an example. It was really cold. I was like, no, you have to wear a shirt with sleeves. She didn't want to do that. I told her to wear, she wanted to wear like flip-flops. I was like, no, you have to wear like actual shoes today. I told her to put on her jacket. She didn't want to put on her jacket. We just, everything that, that I asked her to do, she had a completely different plan. And so we got in the car. I looked in the rearview mirror and she was making a, an intentional effort not to look at me in the rearview mirror. She was looking out the window like this. She was, she was disengaged, uninterested. And so I looked in the rearview mirror and I said, uh, hey, Josie, you're my girl. And she went, no, I'm not. <laughs> and she looked right back out the window. <laughs> I, I uh, man, it was like a picture of me. It was like a picture of me. It was, it was literally like sometimes on a daily basis how I interact with God. Like his good and perfect desires for me to dress me and outfit me and suit me up in a way that is appropriate for the things he has me to do that day. And I'm like, Dad, gummit, God, I'm going to wear flip-flops and a tank top. And he's like, hey, man, Chuck, I love you. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't care. You know, looking out the window. And so Paul here, he's ending where he started. Look at, look at what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, right, off, right, off the, right out of the gate, verse 9. This is, this is his purpose statement for everything that's going to follow in the letter. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, how you think, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So right there at the first, Paul gave us the answer to the test. He gave us the answer right at the beginning. Here is the answer to the question of what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, what is excellent, what is worthy of praise. Here is the answer. All of these things that Paul is saying they describe who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what we are becoming because of the work of Jesus. That's what all of these things describe that Paul just listed. Because overall, at the heart of it all, 
what, what Paul wants us to see and what he wants us to know is the gospel. And he knows, finally, brothers and sisters, and he gives this list, this is going to point us back to everything he's told us about Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Whatever is true. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says of himself, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is the only thing that is true. Whatever is honorable. Hebrews 2, 9. Speaking of Jesus, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, which sounds like what Paul said in Philippians 2. Remember, Jesus humbled himself. He made himself nothing. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For a little while, he was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Jesus is the one who is honorable. Whatever is just, Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, from the prophet Isaiah, Matthew speaking of Jesus, behold, he's saying, look at, gaze at, see my servant who I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice. He is just. He is the one from which justice flows, Jesus. Whatever is pure. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3, when he appears, speaking of Jesus, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is and everyone who hopes in him purifies himself because he is pure. He is pure. And Jesus is purity. Whatever is lovely. Isaiah 33, verse 17, your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. Some of us have spent lifetimes looking for beautiful things and just finding things that are not beautiful. It's time to look at Jesus. Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. He is lovely. Whatever is commendable, excellence, worthy of praise. Look at the end of Philippians chapter two. In Paul's own words from this letter, therefore, speaking of Jesus, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so at the very end of saying all these things about Christ and all these things about us, finally, brothers and sisters, he gives us this laundry list of things. Whatever is true, just, pure, commendable, worthy of praise, think about these things he is pointing back to Jesus. He is inviting us back in to what we've learned and what we've known of Christ. He is saying, think, engage, see the beauty that is Christ. And what happens when we do that? Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So just as simple as I can lay it out tonight for myself, because I've been chewing on it all week. Paul reaffirms the choice we have in the gospel. What you have learned, received, heard, 
seen. It is an invitation to look at and think on Jesus. Simple as that. Person of Christ, Jesus. Jesus is simply as I can say it tonight. He sums up the invitation of the gospel in two words. That is against everything that we feel and everything we know and everything we're being told right now. And Jesus sums it up in two words. He looks at us in our stubbornness. He looks at us as we stare out the window And he holds out a hand, and the invitation of the gospel is just found in him saying, follow me. Follow me. I've prayed this week in my life. Um, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in church. Man, I grew up in church like every day of the week. And I, I have heard these things to the point where honestly there was a point in my life where they became commonplace and uh, through God's mercy he has refreshed them. But there was a point in time, growing up all the time, I used to hear people say, um, Jesus wants you to ask him into your heart. And I get it. I get what they're trying to say. But as humbly as I can tell you tonight, the gospel is not you asking Jesus into your heart. The gospel is Jesus asking you into his heart. That's a big difference. The invitation of the gospel is not to pray a prayer so that you go to heaven when you die. Jesus never said anything like it. The gospel is invitational in nature in that Jesus knows that since Genesis chapter 3, we've placed ourselves in the center of the equation and we've said, we'll decide what is true. We'll decide what is honorable. We'll decide what is pure. We'll take care of the justice thing. And we'll work really, really hard that we are worthy of praise. And we will curate and make and develop an image for the world to see that is praised and that is followed. I mean, even in our, our silly things like social media, we have things called followers. Like, and we're judged and weighed and measured about how many we have compared to how many other people have. I work with high school students and college students all the time. They live and die by how people perceive them and see them. They have been told that the chief end of their life is for people to follow them. And so that is where the gospel and Jesus holding out a hand and saying, follow me, that is where the rub of the gospel finds us, where it finds me. Because we have curated kingdoms and we have built places. And Jesus is calling us away to the place where he is going. That's why he says to his friends in the book of Luke, if anyone wants to come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross daily. And follow me. 
And so tonight, as, as humbly as I can say it, Paul is giving us an invitation at the end of Philippians to gaze at Jesus who is true, who is honorable, who is just, who is pure, who is lovely, who is commendable, who is excellent, who is worthy of praise. He is inviting us to look at him, to hear his voice say, follow me. And to decide who we're going to be. And so this is what Jesus is saying when he says, follow me. He's saying this, as simple as I can put it. Jesus is saying this to us. I will decide where we are going. I will decide how we will get there. I will declare what is pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. He is saying this. I will lead. You will follow. And as you follow you will finally figure out and find everything you've been looking for this whole time. You will fall into the rhythm of who you were created to be from the beginning. So this is my final thought. Like This is the, the, final, the final thing that's kind of running into my head. And can I just like can I just tell you I I feel this this tension and this pull in myself on a daily basis. I don't want to paint this picture for you as this is something like yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and tomorrow easy street. I am just telling you, Jesus in His kindness is asking you tonight as simply as I can put it again: Do you want to go where He is going? And if you do, all it takes is you just giving away everything you are (laughs) and following him. And I know this for a fact. I know that there are some of us in this room who have known a lot of things about Jesus our whole life. And we maybe have attached him to the things that we have going on like a bumper sticker. And Jesus wants more for you. He wants to take you into something that you've never seen before, you've never experienced before, that you've never felt before. And I think he wants to take you tonight. I think tonight wants to be the start. See, as as Chuck brought that message during the week, God told me that I think we should do a prayer time for each other. But then I believe he said there's going to be people here today that, that need me and the biggest change in my life is what you said. When I really, like, I, I grew up going to church, I heard the information of Jesus. I informationally knew him. And I invited Jesus to be a part of my life. You're going to be this, like, thing. You're a part. You're going to get me where I need to go. Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my plan. I got it all upset. And Jesus, you're going to go with me. And I'm going to be pulling you along. And I'm going to make the rules. And you're going to show up when I need you, you know? The biggest shift happened. The biggest life transformation, the thing that the word talks about where your heart turns from stone to something different in an instant, I'm telling you, I'm speaking from experience, and Chuck, you're speaking from experience from what you're saying. I'm telling you, the shift happened when I say, God, I don't, Jesus, I don't want you to be a part of my kingdom. I'm letting go of every aspect of my kingdom and I want yours. 
I just want your kingdom. I just want you. I don't care what happens to me because I've made all of the decisions in my life and everything is hell. And I got what looks like everything, y'all. For the two. And inside I got nothing. Hard as hard as a brick. I sat in church my whole life. Came a moment where I was like, man, I don't want a kingdom. I want whatever kingdom you offer. I want that one. And Jesus, if you really are, here I am, forever, forever. That's the moment. And God sees the heart. And then God meets you right where you are. And so in this moment, like if you've never come to the place where maybe that Jesus became the king of his kingdom and you saw him open the door and be like, yo, I'm the door. And if you walk through me, my kingdom is yours. And the one that you're trying to build for yourself, you think is gonna be awesome. And it's so cool. Your sandcastle's cool, but waves are coming, it's going down. I wanna offer you something so much better that's concrete, that's forever. And I wanna welcome you with open arms. And I wanna be a father to you. And I wanna walk with you. And I'll be a comfort to you in your time of trial. I wanna give you direction. Some of us are trying to direct God in our life and he's saying, but I want to direct your life. You've done, you've done the best you could. Let me direct the whole thing. And when you come to that place where you're ready, the Bible talks about it being a word of surrender, of death, dying to your life. If you want to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll discover real life. And that response of faith is what we do, baptism. You are losing your life and you're being buried with Christ and life you are raised to live is in faith in Him. And now you've been possessed by the Spirit of God. And then you're sent as His representative, as His ambassador into the world to advance kingdom because kingdom is advancing. Join His kingdom. The doors are wide open. The Father made a way. You don't have to carry your sin no more. Come all who will. Are you realizing your kingdom isn't enough? The king offers you, come. If you will, come. But the way you come is you forsake your kingdom and you say, Jesus, I want yours. You're the king, I'm not. Right where you are, if that's you today, you're like, yo, today is my day. I've really been waiting for this moment and I have got to surrender my life to the king and it's not mine it's his and I recognize and I want to follow him if that's you today if that's you today I'm going to ask you to make a move you got to move move if that's you today and you're saying hey baptism is my next step and I want to die with him I want to go raised, be raised to life with him if that's you today I would love for you to, to stand right now. And then I would love for you to make that move. And we've got everything ready for you to make that move right now. If that's you, today's my day. I'm gonna ask that you stand right where you are. Now, I want to talk to everyone in the room who's a part 
of the kingdom. If you've experienced the kingdom and the king, then you know he came to you in the moment when you needed him most, right? He came to seek and save those who were lost. There was an action and there was a move that he took to go after you. The surrender every day, and I invite you to consider, who has Jesus compelled you toward today and yesterday? Who are you seeking after that the kingdom would advance, that he would meet the people in your life? And I encourage you and I say humbly, if you're not compelled to the world that he died to save, and if there's nobody on your heart, I pray that our hearts will be broken again in this moment, that we've realized that we have gained back or decided to take back a piece of the kingdom and walk out of his kingdom and into our own again. I promise there's no other way. There's no other way. His heart is for the people around you. And I ask us, Lord God, please open our eyes to see them the way that you do. Give us boldness in this day because they're desperate to hear it. And we're too concerned about our own popularity, our own person to even speak out your truth, oh God, for an awkward moment. God, I pray for mercy, God. Wake up your people, oh God. Would you revive our hearts that we would experience your love in a deep kind of way that we'd be willing to go to a cross for our friends because it matters most. God, I, I thank you for your love, but God, I pray that our hearts would melt again. That you would turn hearts of stone that have gone back to culture and got truth from self, oh God. I pray for fresh surrender in this place, God. Lord, I pray that you would send us where you want us to go. Bring a fresh touch from heaven. That's our prayer.